All right, welcome to the 13th Tim Masso podcast. This is kind of a big one. For lucky number 13, I want to introduce our guest, Scott Devon, founder of Devon Works, car enthusiast, creator of watches, and entrepreneur. Scott, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for inviting me. Okay, so here's the thing. To a lot of the watch collectors out there, you're not going to be quite as familiar to them as F.P. Journe and Terry Stern. So if you could just sort of uh, give us an introduction, how did you come to love watches as a collector yourself? I think it actually started with my grandfather. He was a collector of watches and timepieces and actually cuckoo clocks and all kinds of gizmo things. And, and, uh, and I, I traveled with him a lot in my youth. He had an Airstream trailer and traveled across the country with he and my grandmother. And uh, so I think it's just, and my dad liked watches as well. So it's, it's kind of a family tradition to, um, when I graduated from college, my dad gave me uh, his Rolex and he bought a new one. And uh, so it's, it's, it's like the legacy, I, I believe, of, of, of watches that means a lot to me, the heritage of it. So now, obviously, you started as a collector, but your intention wasn't always to create watches. Uh, tell us, how did you jump from collecting watches to creating watches and what took yeah, place? I, well, it, it came about when we did the Devon GTX uh, supercar. And um, as you might be aware, when people do cars, they also look at accessories. And... Um, uh, the designer that I was working with at the time, Jason Wilbur, had this concept for the Tread One, and uh, he was a Honda concept car designer. And I was doing my project in, in uh, Newport Beach, California, and he was also uh, working on a concept car at the same time at Aria. And uh, uh, the owner of the company introduced us together and said, you might really want to see this guy's watch. I think it will fit your car. And so we also did motorcycles and uh, some fashion brands and jeans, leather jackets, things like that, that all revolved around the GTX. So from those early days, the formative concept for a watch, it's not easy to make a watch anywhere, let alone in the U.S. Was your first instinct to resort to Switzerland, try to find a supplier, or did you think Southern California straight away? Well, our watch is really so unique that it doesn't really have any traditional um, Swiss parts or, or traditional watchmaking um, mechanisms. So we, we actually found out that you know, we could maybe make it um, in Swiss, Switzerland, but we could maybe make a handful of watches that would cost $300,000 each. And that was really not my intent. So I wanted to have it a little bit more, they're still expensive, you know, ranging from 12 to $25,000, but at least they're somewhat in the range of affordability for certain collectors. And um, so we, we found a, a small boutique aerospace engineering company in um, outside of uh, LA and Hesperia, California, and they took the project on. And um, so really it's, it's derivative of um, uh, auto space or, um, you know, they, they work for Nassau, they work for, you know, a lot of uh, Boeing and a lot of the parts are, are basically from that industry. So it's kind of cool. You've got a, a local sort of ecosystem of suppliers. What does Devon Works itself look like? Because a lot of folks online don't really know. They can picture a Swiss watch factory. Um, but at your factory, at your operations, do you have watchmakers? Do you have production facilities? What does it actually look like? Yeah, it, it's a small shop. It's uh, maybe 3,000 square feet. And again, they do um, aerospace technology in that building as well as our watches. And uh, so we've been with them now 12 years. And they do a great job for us. And, and um you know, they're very, um, how do I say it, um, very boutique oriented and, and artists in their own right. And, uh, but some of the things are traditional, you know, we, we, we do little um, cubicles with, uh, uh, you know, enclosed seals. So the watches are 
totally perfect and clean and and they have a CNC machine, things like that, that they do in house there too. But, uh, but it's, it's basically hand, hand assembled. So it takes uh, uh, about seven days to make one watch, which is, you know, a long time, but uh, that's what happens when you have 350 different parts that go in a watch. Uh, definitely. I recently had a Swiss CEO brag to me that his watches could be assembled in something like 20 hours. And it, it sounds like he might be taking shortcuts compared to your operation. I've also noticed that your turnarounds are incredible. Like when I've sent watches in for service at Devon, it's always been, you know, two weeks, not months, not years. Um, it, what do you see on the service side? Because that's something you seem to do well, and Switzerland seems to still be learning. So how does yeah, that? Yeah, I, I appreciate that. Um, Daryl Hardy works for us out, out in Hesperia, California, and he does a great job with customer service. And my wife Terry uh, is the directing manager of the company, and they they're they're pretty much on it. And um, I'm really proud of what they do and how they do customer service very well. So now when the time comes to create a new watch, obviously, you know, in 2010, you made a huge splash with the Tread 1, first GPHG nomination for an American brand. Two years later, Tread 2 Chronograph. Uh, you know, you've worked with guys like Marco Petrovic and Jason Wilbur. What does the creative process look like? It, it starts with you, but how do you hand that off to the creative team? Uh, Marco and I work really well together. He's been with us for 10 years now, since the inception with Jason Wilbur. And uh, Marco lives in uh, Nova Sad, Serbia. And uh, we used to meet once a year at the Swiss watch show in, in, um, in Basel. And, um, but that's come to pass where we don't go anymore as most people don't. And uh, so I we're just really virtual on emails. And uh, you know, we talk on the phone once in a while as well, but he's, he's almost like a third son. I have two sons that are in my food company, but uh, Marco is my other third son. And, and we get along spunnily. I'm half Serbian myself, so uh, I think we have a mutual connection through our heritage, but uh, he's very talented. He was one of the only um, Serbian youths that had a scholarship to go to art school in Italy. And, uh, um, and he, he can actually, he's a fine artist, but he's also a great uh, CPG or, or not, uh, computer, computer um, uh, person as well. But he, um, uh, he can actually paint the Mona Lisa by hand. He's that talented as far as a, an artist. So he's great to work with, wonderful young man. I, I didn't realize there was that, that double Serbian link to the Devon Tread watches. I've been saying for years that I felt like Tesla and Tread watches someday had to come together. So, you know, you've got that triumvirate of like Serbian heritage there with the Tesla name. Do you ever exactly. consider anything like that, branding with an auto company? Yeah, I would love to work with Elon Musk, you know, and, and um, in fact, uh, there was a gentleman that collected our watches that worked for him. And I had a chance to go and, and tour SpaceX and I, I, it just never happened. He left the company and went with a, another company, but uh, he was an engineer for Elon. And um, so, yeah, we're working on some things in the future that I think uh, they would be interested in our, 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 uh, our vision of what we can do with watches and even smart watches. So um, I'd love, love to work with them or Google or whoever it be, but we'll, we'll eventually get that area. Okay, so we'll talk, because I want to ask you about what's coming up at DevonWorks, because you guys have kept a low profile for a little bit on social media. Um, there have been a couple of times, they weren't car tie-ups, but when I felt you guys punched way above your weight in terms of appearances in mainstream media, how did you get on Shark Tank and the Avengers movies? Um, it's interesting. The Shark Tank, my, uh, my nephew uh, actually knows Damon John, and... Um, uh, he, he's a serial entrepreneur like I am, and he's done fabulously well. And uh, um, he got us connected. So he goes, you know, 
send, send him, a, he, he wants to wear your watch on the show. And I said, perfect. You know, so it's just a, a connection of mutual friends. And then as far as um, uh, uh, the Avengers, um, Robert Downey Jr. was fabulous. He actually, we're in the, the last two Avengers movies and I, I gave him some free watches for the first one. A lot of people would give him a lot of money for what we were, were exposed to. And, and just out of a good heart, he, he put it in the second movie without any, any charge. So he just loves the watches. So, um, and with him, we, we had a mutual friend again. So it was kind of fun that way. And, and I'm also working with Michael Irving right now. He's gonna debut our, um, our next watch uh, in NFL Network next year. He's a fabulous, fabulous guy. Got to be friends with him too. So watches have really enabled me to connect with some celebrities. It's been fun to meet these people and, and they really enjoy our, our innovations. And, uh, but he'll, he'll be wearing this one. This is a, a new one prototype that we just made. It's, uh, it's quite fabulous, I think. And uh, so it has the whole bracelet and things like that. And, and here's another prototype of, of, of what's coming next too. So, um, and then we're also working on a smartwatch too. So I can't reveal that now. I'm starting, I'm working on the patent process and, but that's when I want to approach uh, Tesla and Google with, I've got a friend at Google that's going to show it uh, over there. So um, you never know, but that, that's way out of our, our league as far as uh, financial ability to make it. It's, it's a significant investment. And so we need a partner like a tech company for that, but it's, it's unbelievably brilliant design. Marco, Marco did that one. Very cool. So for those of you out in cyberspace who, um, who are just listening, uh, rewind for a moment. The Iron Man movies, remember Iron Man 2? Remember how much money Shajer Lacoult paid Robert Downey Jr. to wear those watches? Well, it took a watch and a little bit of goodwill to get him to wear a Devon. So just make that your reference point. Shajer Lacoult was what came first. That's a tough act to follow. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I'm indebted to him. Uh, and it's just fun to be a fan, too. You know, when you see your your heroes on TV or movies and things like that do the right thing. You know, it just reinforces what good people they are. And, and I'm really proud of my company and, and, and just happy to be able to meet some of these people that I've never would have in, in my other world of food, food manufacturing. So it's been a lot of fun. Yeah. And again, for those of you out in uh, cyberspace, if you've ever had frozen bread before, especially with garlic, you might know Scott Devon from a different experience. Yep, it's Cole's Quality Foods. Uh, it's been a 75-year-old company, and I'm third generation into it, and um, we're doing great. Now my, my two sons are joining the business right now, and um, I thought they would gravitate towards watches and more glamorous things, but they they like the business side of the food business. So I think they know where that's that's where the money pays for the house. So <laughs> they're pretty smart. <laughs> Yeah, you know, I've often said that you can make a small fortune in watches if you start with a large fortune. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah wow. it's, a, it's a labor of love, I guess. You know? So let me ask you a question then about the future, because you teased a little bit. And for those of you who are listening to this podcast, uh, Scott is wearing a prototype watch right now. He is wearing a full bracelet prototype right now. You might recall that the exoskeleton bracelets from the mid-2010s kind of showed what this could look like. It looks like you're finally coming to market with it. Could you tell us a little bit about this? Maybe not the smartwatch, that's secret, but can you tell us? Right. Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a wonderful watch. I mean, I, I've been wearing the prototypes for maybe the last uh, few months and I get stopped everywhere and asked about it. It's a conversation piece, which are obviously our tread one and tread two are as well, but uh, this one's a showstopper. And it is based on the exoskeleton that we pre previewed many years ago, but just didn't put into production. Um, but, you know, we, we took kind of a hiatus for the last few years, figuring out if we want to be an online 
seller or traditional retailers. And, you know, the watch industry has changed so much in the last uh, even five years that, you know, we really had to kind of like pause for a bit, but now we're reactivating and, and getting more involved. And um, our last big project was the, the Star Wars uh, watch that we did with Lucasfilms, um, this one right here. And um, that was a fun project too. I, I actually got to tour Lucasfilms in San Francisco a couple times and saw where they created ET and all these fabulous animation uh, projects there and, and uh, got to meet the people there. And, um, and that was a real fun project as well. We got a lot of exposure for the Star Wars when they first relaunched it and got a little peek behind the curtain over there. It was fun. And yeah, that's another question I wanted to ask you, because when I think of blockbuster movies, again, I think Richemont money, I think Swatch Group money, James Bond wearing a Omega Seamaster, it's usually not the kind of thing where a small brand sort of associates with a giant studio, especially since Star Wars is now Disney. So how did that come about, a small brand as you yeah. yeah, they contacted me, they did their research, and they... Um, they thought it would fit Star Wars with our innovation. And I actually got to tour the Disney campus too in, in Los Angeles, which was fabulous as well. And um, so, yeah, they reached out to me. You know, we've had a number of people just reach out to us, but again, we're a very small company and, and um, but very innovative. So I think people appreciate that. And, and um, so we've had a lot of chances to really get involved in, in TV shows as well. We've been in a number of TV shows and movies as well. And, and um, but yeah, we, we don't have the funds to outspend our, our big competitors in Switzerland, but you know, they, they just appreciate our innovation more than anything. Well, that's pretty cool. I guess, you know, great minds think alike. Yeah. Speaking of which, I, I've got to broach the topic of the Devon GTX. You kind of broached it early on. It's what came before the watches. A lot of our viewers and listeners are big auto enthusiasts. Tell me the story about that and whether we might ever see it revisited. Well, I, I, I still have the record setting uh, red GTX, Devon GTX um, in, in, uh, in, in Michigan here. Um, I haven't driven it in a while, but uh, it set the uh, lap record at Laguna Seca for production cars and also Willow Springs, California. And I, I recently watched that movie Ford versus Ferrari again, and, and we did all our testing at Willow Springs and it just brought back so many good memories. Justin Bell was our driver, uh, famous race driver, really close friends. And we had a, a VP at uh, Ford. Um, we had a small team, you know, like we did with watches. It was maybe eight, eight people. And it was just a great experience. It was a, about a three-year project. Um, Clive Hawkins that owns the ARIA Group was very involved and, and um, just a wonderful experience. And, and um, it was it, the Ford versus Ferrari. You know, I felt a little bit like I had a couple of years of Carol Shelby in me there, and who I got to meet too. And, and um, it, was, it was really fun. I really enjoyed it. And, and it really started everything. I, I, I you know, went out there with a dream and I actually got to go to see, visit Ferrari and Pinafarina in, in Italy and um, met a lot of cool people in the, in the, in the car industry. And, and we debuted at uh, Pebble Beach, the Concorde Eleganza out, out there and had a hard car on the putting green, you know, next to um, even, even the guy that, uh, I'm sorry, I forget his name, but uh, Barris, I think, he, he did the uh, Batman car. And he's passed since then, but I got to meet him and um, Fisker, you know, a lot of these guys and were out there and even Tesla did their, one of their cars at our, at the shop that we were at. And, uh, but everything was private. Everybody had their kind of like privacy because it was concept cars, right? But the owner and I became really close friends and he introduced me to these people. And so that was just a great experience. We, we were going to make about 10 a year and um, uh, we based it off the, the Viper, the chassis, but we basically stripped it down 
um, to the chassis and, and carbon fibered the whole car up and had um, a really cool um, experience with a professor at San Diego State out there that did the uh, wind tunnel for us. And so we did a lot of aerodynamics and um, great design. Uh, Daniel uh, Paulin from Sweden uh, did, did the design of the car. And, um, but we hit 2008 and you know the whole financial world collapsed. And so that project kind of went away. And, um, um, but we did you know, continue with the watches and, and some of the other projects and the motorcycles, we continue with those too a little bit. But, but the watches had, had this, uh, the staying power over the long term since that project started. Yeah, I know you mentioned earlier that you are a serial entrepreneur. You've had fashion, you've had motorcycle interests, automotive, obviously food. Um, what was it about the watch that just took off? Because you launched that in a pretty tough time right after the financial yeah. crisis. And that seemed to immediately catch fire. Yeah, it was interesting. We had some friends in Singapore that are really big collectors in the independent market, as, as you're, you're aware of. And and um, and they really liked my watches. I mean, I was over there and this is like a pinch me moment, but I was over there signing autographs, you know, and in, 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 in magazines and stuff like that. And I never thought that would ever happen. And uh, um, so they, they they did a launch party for us there. And, and one of the gentlemen um, was on the board of the um, Grand Prix de Orlar and he nominated us. And that really put us on a, a big big stage there. We went to the award show and it was like the Oscars for watches and you know black tie and all this kind of stuff. And But it was all in French. And I speak two years of high school French, which is worse than having two years of high school French. And so I didn't understand anything, <laughs> but it was still an honor to be there. Uh, now, looking forward, obviously you have interests in smartwatches potentially, interests in working with maybe a larger technology partner. You're going to continue with the treads, I presume. Um, there was mention back in about 2014 of a, a workup with RGM and maybe combining on a mechanical watch. Have you ever thought again since then of checking out the yeah. mechanical space? Yeah, yeah, we did. Um, and that would be made in Switzerland. Um, uh, RGM did the initial uh, research for us and then we identified a couple partners in Switzerland that could make the mechanical watch. Um, the only thing again was the market at the time that we didn't pursue it. Um, and it would be probably a $300,000 watch mechanically. Um, but it was really cool. It was similar to um, uh, uh, Max Gousset's watch, you know, with the um, uh, more of a bubble like the legacy. Oh yeah. And um, um, it was really cool. I, I still have it in the back of my mind uh, relaunched that at one point because we did we spent a lot of money getting it towards prototype stage so uh, but again i was waiting for the market to kind of rebound to kick start the company back up and um it's still in my back of my brain that i want to do i want to that's that's going to be my legacy piece once i do that one. Oh, very cool my dog <laughs> we love we love dogs here on the podcast so that's all good. <laughs> so um okay interesting because you you have laid low for the last couple of years um, not a huge presence on social media, not a huge presence online. You've done a lot of, you know, kind of online sales. Uh, and you mentioned the decline of Baselworld, and I felt the same way. I was there in 2016, and it felt like the dinosaurs just before the comet hit. Yeah. So looking forward, how are you going to roll out to customers with the combination of the trade shows being basically dead and COVID still standing out in our way? Yeah, it is difficult times. It's a great question. Um, and it's evolving as we speak. But I, I do think, you know, I still have a lot of friends in the media in the world that uh, Errol Adams, you're familiar with, he's willing to 
launch our next watch and and um obviously this podcast that you have is great and um so yeah i think it's going to be more of an online marketing type thing and and hopefully we'll do more again with um some of our celebrities ambassadors things like that to get it going but but right now you know we're we're pretty lean and and we're really down to make you know we have some great retailers too still that support the brand and um and have a, a standing base of maybe 25 collectors that will buy anything I make, you know, which is wonderful. And I become friends with a lot of those people. And so we've got a nice core group, you know, and, and I'm not looking for the company to be that big. Um, we found our niche and we like our, our niche where we're at. And um, at one point I tried to make it bigger, but it, it's the watch doesn't want to be scaled up. It wants to be very um, small based and niche oriented and, and very, artful. And I think our collectors appreciate that as well, because I think long-term and I'm sitting in front of, these are all zero ones, by the way, and uh, um, that uh, it's going to be a good investment long-term might take a while, but, you know, I think they're holding their value in the marketplace. And just in terms of scale, I mean, we often talk about brands like Alonco and Zona making 5,000 watches a year being low volume. Um, what does volume look like at Devon? Like how many watches tread ones and twos do you make each year? Yeah, we're, we're hovering around 100 to 150 right now. Our, our, our biggest seller has been the um, Steampunk. We, we made the Steampunk watch and, and we sold out of 150 of these. And um, we're going to do a variation of this too. I also have a, a luggage line, again, scaling out the, um, the um, accessory market. Um, I've got a tremendous design. Actually, Marco did the design on the luggage line that matches the Steampunk. And, and that's another niche that, you know, the, the that people are um, fanatical about. They collect steampunk, like, you know, you wouldn't believe it. And uh, so I'm hoping to launch that. I've got a local uh, fella here that I live in a in main town in Grand Rapids, Michigan, where there's a lot of furniture companies based here. And so I have access to a lot of great artisans that are um, in the area and I can make these in small volumes here. And um, I'm pretty excited about that one though, too. I, I, it's one of those ones I had it on Pinterest for a long time. And it never goes away. It just keeps keeping, you know, people liking, liking, liking. I'm like, I got to make this thing, you know? So again, you know, I'm excited again because my food company's skyrocketing because of COVID, which, you know, I want COVID to go away. Don't get me wrong, but you know, that enables me to do more fun stuff in the future with the, the Devon brand. Yeah. No, it's interesting because your volume is low. And I know from your Pinterest, I've seen your Pinterest page. Uh, you also have an interest in fine art and sculpture. Have you ever thought of you know, maybe working with someone like uh, Max Booser of MBNF with his mad galleries or with art galleries proper to maybe distribute through a different channel than traditional watch retail, like a gallery. Yeah. yeah, Max has probably been one of the best friends I've met through the watch industry and I respect him 100%. And, and um, we've shared some things over the years that uh, um, helped each other's company, I think, and mo mostly me. <laughs> and uh, um, we thought about collaborating, but he's so busy, you know, with future stuff, you know, he's, he's 10 years out and I appreciate that, but he's always, I mean, I can, I can email him or call him and he's always available to discuss things. But yeah, I, I, I also had, uh, was thinking about doing the similar thing in the U S that he has too, but retail is really tough right now. And, and, you know, so I think again, online and virtual and things like that are, are the future for our company as well. But, uh, Tons of respect for Max and what he's done over there. It's just fabulous. I actually, I, I collect uh, some of his pieces myself and, and um, I've got his, I love his sculpture pieces. They're, um, they're just what I would, would what I would want to do too. So we're, we're 
pretty pretty tightly aligned. You guys, uh, you keep a low profile on Instagram, but I did notice right at the end of 2020, you posted a, uh, I'm going to call it a horologically themed sculpture that looked an awful lot like the T-Rex from MBNF. Do you have plans to make that little guy? Is that something that's going yeah. to You know, we did, again, a lot of research on that, and we put it on pause, and um, um, it was cool. It would, it, would, it, would, it would be a watch that hovered, you know, over a um, magnetic thing, sphere. It was oh, a yeah. sphere. And, um, you know, again, we, we've got so many ideas, but we, you know, we're, we're a little bit lacking of funds until recently. So um, some of these things might be resurrected in the future, but it's, uh, and I'm, I'm getting the age where I'm, my boys are gonna take over the company and, and so I can do more fun stuff with Devin too in the future. Okay, so now having been in the industry now for over a decade, you got a little bit of perspective. You've met people, you've seen the scene and you have a general idea of the lay of the land. So as a collector and a manufacturer, uh, what's, what's caught your attention the last couple of years, up and comers, new trends, model debuts, what's piqued your interest from that perspective? Well, I, I do think, you know, the, for me, at least the future where my, my mindset is as far as vision is to team up with technology. And, um, you know, I, I wish I could share more about what we're doing, but we're in the process of patenting and, you know, trying to protect my intellectual creations that Mark and I are working on. And, um, but, you know, I, I would love to get in that sector. And even at the beginning, I, I thought, you know, we were not a tr obviously a traditional watchmaker in Switzerland and, and really, really more aligned with technology as far as our, our, our mechanisms and, um, and even electric, you know, it was kind of frowned upon at the beginning, you know, electric watch, you know, like that rather than mechanical. And so the Swiss are very good at marketing and controlling that um, narrative for, you know, the collectors and things like that. But, you know, like I said, I, I think we're more aligned with Tesla and Apple and Google in the future. And that's really where I, I really want to play in that space rather than, again, I, you know, I, I, I catch myself because I still would want to do a mechanical watch in Switzerland. So I'm not opposed to that, but I think the future is, is more towards technology. That's very cool stuff. Um, now, of course, you're still collecting. And for those of you who are out in cyberspace listening to this as opposed to watching the video, um, Scott has a huge array of serial number one Devon watches in front of them right now. So I can see part of his watch collection right here. Uh, but let me ask, you know, going back to, your, to your, your family connections to watches and your time as a collector, and I'm sure you still buy a watch from time to time. What does your collection look like? What are some watches that mean a lot to you? You know, it's, it's funny because I... You know, my wife asked me that question a lot too. And I'm like going, well, you know, do I buy a paddock or do I buy an AP or do I, <laughs> I mean, I've got some, I, I love, you know, some of the watches out there right now and, and, you know, very much the tra traditional ones as well as even though we're kind of way out there as far as space age. But uh, um, I, I would think, you know, my next watch would probably be from Max. You know, um, I've got my eye on a couple there and I'm really close to the Provident guys down in Florida. And, um, you know, they, they, uh, I buy through them, you know, when I do my personal collections and, but I do love sculpture and I'm a sculpture my, uh, artist myself. And um, so I, I, you know, I, I kind of gravitate towards that world too and, and um, dimensional arts and things like that. So, um, and uh, I've got, I just completed my second sculpture. I'm doing a one in glass right now in, in New York. And um, so I'm, I'm kind of gravitating more towards that area to my personal designs and, and also my watch designs. And, you know, I, I really want to go to the next level though. Now, you know, I'm, I'm going to be 60 
in uh, June, and I'm like going, okay, you know, we're in the we're in the last stretch here, and you know, what where I'm going to leave my mark on, and and I, I just want to do some really out there stuff that cements our legacy as a brand. Oh, ne never say never. Colonel Sanders got his start in franchising in the 60s. That worked out just fine. <laughs> so given the times we live in right now, you mentioned uh, food's doing really well. But what I've noticed is, is that not only are people cooking in, um, but we're seeing just skyrocketing values of luxuries. It's not general inflation. It's not food and fuel and clothing, but it's non-fungible token ownership of digital art, fine art, cars, watches. I, I can't figure out what's going on that there seems to be a sudden insatiable demand for investment grade luxuries. Are you seeing that on your side and what's driving this? You know, I think COVID is a long lasting um, shift in consumer buying patterns. And, and I think people living in the home a lot, obviously real estate's gone up quite a bit, especially in resort areas in Florida and even Northern Michigan where we're building a house up there now on Lake Michigan. And um, I just think people kind of reset and take a look at their lives, maybe a little bit more holistically and, and thinking what's really important. And the ability to work remote is also very um, freeing, you know? And um, I mean, my office, uh, we've been remote for the last year and, and have kept up with everything. You know, certain people work great that way, some don't, but, and as managers, it's sometimes hard because you don't have face-to-face, -face. but again, with technology, you know, I, I mean, I, I call on the biggest retailers in the world, Walmart, Kroger, Meyer, Spartan, things like that. And, and uh, we do Zoom calls, you know, so there's no travel that we have to get on a plane and, and go to Bentonville, Arkansas, you know, and, uh, and call on our buyers face to face. So technology, again, if there's a theme, I guess, where I'm going with all this, I think technology is changing the world in a, a maybe more freeing way, even though, you know, we're attached to our phones, you know, uh, constantly, but it also enables us to maybe not work nine to five, you know, we can, we can work at our leisure a little bit more and maybe work maybe a little later, a little earlier, depending on your lifestyle. So it's, and I think these changes are permanent. And definitely, I can see what you mean. Not, not just the way we work being a little bit different, but it's infinitely easier from the comfort of your own net connection to find collector cars and watches and houses and art uh, yeah. than it is when you're working in your physical office surrounded by colleagues. Right. Okay. Um, so I'll ask uh, just one final question, but what can people look forward to from Devin in 2021 going forward? Because I do want to end this on a forward-looking note. Yeah, for sure. You know, I, I think, uh, you know, as far as current projects that are really close to happening would be the, the, steam, the steampunk luggage line. Um, and I can share some of those designs with you later. Um, and also the exoskeleton is, is close to, I think we're 30 days out from, from this one. And, and um, so those are really about to be born. And um, and in the future from there, you know, our next step would be the smartwatch and technology and, and what that can do and, and even raise it to a whole dimension over what Apple has right now. And, you know, and there's just some amazing things going on right now in that, that sphere right now in that sector. So I'm pretty, pretty excited about talking with Mark and I, we're brainstorming, what can this watch do? You know, what do you think it can do? And, da, 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 da. and you know, it really is, um, back to Star, Star Trek days, you know, when you, when you had these, or Dick Tracy, and, you know, some of these things are, we're working on are, are pretty revolutionary. Outstanding. Well, Scott Devin, creator of cars, watches, and art, um, entrepreneur, and now podcaster. Scott, thanks so much for your time. It was very interesting, and thank you for the great, great questions, and I enjoyed it thoroughly. Thank you.